Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers, providing you with practical advice to enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. The advice given in this podcast is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia Stroke Foundation, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. It's summer now while we're recording this podcast, and so we thought it was fitting to talk about a more relaxed topic than usual. Yoga is hugely popular with our stroke survivor community and with the team at the Stroke Foundation. Many people use it as a form of exercise and as an activity that connects them with their community. Now, I do need to state that yoga as a treatment is not specifically recommended by the Clinical Guidelines for Stroke Management or by the Stroke Foundation, and you should talk to a health professional before starting any new exercise such as yoga. But with that in mind, we're going to look at some of the benefits that people do get out of yoga, and if you've had a stroke, how you can get into practicing it. And we didn't have to bend over backwards to find people willing to discuss these questions. Joining us soon will be yoga aficionados Simone Russell and Jude Cherenkovsky from Strokeline, and later on we'll be speaking to researcher Professor Susan Hillier. First, though, we have on the line from Bathurst, stroke survivor and valued member of the Enable Me online community, Sue Bowden. Sue, welcome to our podcast. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me. Now, the first question is the usual one that I always ask our guests. Could you tell us your stroke story? Okay. My stroke story happened a long time ago in 1993 when I was 22 years old and I had my stroke, a brainstem stroke, two weeks after I developed severe preeclampsia and lost our first baby. So my stroke left me uh, needing to link to communicate initially and then needing to learn to walk, talk, eat, uh, become continent and, yeah, basically live again. So the long journey from then to now uh, has been quite difficult. Uh, There was not much uh, assistance, I guess, around back then and I, I I took what I could in terms of um, attending uh, outpatients rehab. Once I left rehab, uh, I was always very good at turning up to my appointments. However, there was a huge gap between, uh, I guess, where I was at and where I needed to go. So I just continued to move forward the best I could. Uh, so nothing like yoga really was <laughs> offered to me back then or even, I guess, the, the knowledge of how it, it may have helped was not there, so I just went on with my exercise as I, as I needed to and as I saw fit in what helped me. So really, I did a lot of self-guided rehabilitation and recovery on my own to get me to where I am. Sounds like you have come a very long way, and it sounds though also that recovery is it's still an ongoing process, and I think that many people have that uh, same experience. So you have gotten into yoga recently. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about? Okay, so what happened was I guess I started a new year a few years ago thinking, what am I going to do differently this year? Not a New Year's resolution as such, but what am I going to do differently? And I thought that I might begin stretching. 
and so I just downloaded it, one of those free apps on, on my phone. I spoke to my doctor to say that I was beginning to stretch and with the view to do some yoga later on. So I did the stretching morning and night for three months. And then I found a, um, a just a, a DVD that I bought uh, at $5 at a stall that I found and I began doing that DVD at home just yeah in the comfort of my home so I was it was private and I could concentrate and yeah I found it really quite difficult but I think with the, all the stretching that I'd done uh, I could I could see that that had been helpful so I just continued persevering and and getting better and better. At one stage, I was doing yoga, my yoga DVD, three times a day because I felt like I needed to. But that doesn't happen anymore. So, yeah, and I still continue to do that same DVD. Fantastic. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, yoga is so popular with the Stroke Foundation team that we have not one but two special guests from StrokeLine. Occupational therapist Simone Russell. Hello, Simone. Hello. And social worker and Stroke Connect National Manager Jude Cherenkowski. Hi, Jude. Hello. Okay, Simone, um, now you are an OT, but you're also someone who knows a lot about yoga. Now, me though, I'm coming from a position of relative ignorance. So uh, for people like me, can you explain what is yoga? Um, look, I guess it's it's it can mean lots of different things to different people. But I guess my understanding of it is that it is an ancient practice or series of, um, I guess, philosophies and principles and techniques that really come from uh, the Vedic tradition. So from India and the Himalayas uh, and really started somewhere around two and a half thousand years ago. So quite an old practice, um, but made up of a a range of different um, uh, philosophies and techniques, as I said. So, um, the way I see it is it's a way of life, it's a way of being. And so a lot of people, I think, when they first come to think about practicing yoga, they, particularly in, uh, I guess, the modern world, we see uh, a lot of, you know, people doing lots of fancy poses and and a a very physical practice. And so a lot of people go for the physical benefits initially, but it's much, much more than just the physical benefits. And in fact, um, they call it asana or the physical practice, the postures and the poses that we make in in yoga are just one part of, of of the practice. So really yoga is about that union between the body, the mind and the spirit. So it's about uh, cultivating health and well-being from a physical, a mental, emotional, spiritual and even social well-being uh, perspective. So uh, really a practice of, of self-inquiry, increasing self-awareness um, and cultivating a, a greater sense of inner peace and mental clarity, uh, a, a practice of, of really um, continuing to, to come back to that present moment. So I guess it's it's something I think that you need to experience yourself. Um, it's, it's one of those things, yeah, where a lot of people perhaps don't get a real sense of what it is until they start to practice it. So that's kind of my definition of it. Um, Jude, feel free to jump in if there's anything you want to add. I think you've described it perfectly. Simone. Yeah, but really it, it includes the breath, it includes meditation, it includes um, focus and concentration as well as that physical practice and, and um, philosophy as well. So. Okay. So Jude, um, you are also a long-time yoga practitioner. Is um, What are the benefits that you get from it personally? So there are physical and personal benefits and yoga's always made my body feel really good. It helps my fitness, strength, flexibility, and it makes me feel really comfortable in my body. 
Uh, as I'm getting older, I definitely feel the benefits actually more rather than less. And I think it will help me age well. Uh, I quite enjoy going to classes and being with other people and practicing together. You're often doing it in your local community. So it's people that are your neighbours and uh, colleagues. And I quite like the social interaction without always having to build social interaction around conversation. Um, it's a different way of being together with a group of people. But the main thing really for me is that it gives me a chance, it actually forces me really to check in, um, just to stop and actually check in on what's going on for you. And I'll often realise that I'm feeling something either in my body or in my emotions that I actually had no idea that I was feeling until I stopped and checked in. And that's the main thing that I find is the big benefit for me. Now, I guess another question for both of you is um, the sort of thing that Sue's talking about, is this typical from the kind of things we'll hear from people on Stroke Lane, like about people who um, who want to get into yoga not knowing much about it? Or do we also get so people who may have been practicing before they had their stroke and want to get back into it? Yeah, we get both. Um, there's definitely a, a group of stroke survivors that come to us that uh, have heard about yoga or perhaps seen about yoga on social media or perhaps have friends or family practicing. Uh, maybe someone suggested that they try it. So we do get people that may have not had any experience of yoga at all that uh, are really wanting to look into it as, I guess, a hobby or a, a, a leisure pursuit or, you know, physical activity to add to their rehabilitation and to their, I think Sue touched on, you know, really self-managing her, her recovery. So really in that, that later stage of, of having it as a, an adjunct to, to their therapy or perhaps um, their self-management. Uh, there's certainly, um, though, we have stroke survivors call us who have a practice um, prior to their stroke and that are really wanting some guidance. And sometimes it's around, uh, you know, some, I guess, um, fears around practicing again or whether or not actually they can, um, whether it's something that, that people do go back to after their stroke. So we get a bit of both. Some, some that are new to the practice um, wanting to try it out and some that uh, are wanting some guidance around uh, returning to their practice. Okay. Now, Sue, as you said, you started with uh, a DVD, but I believe now you've um, started attending some classes as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So I decided to go along to a class that a friend was going along to, and she was very encouraging, saying, oh, explore yoga, it's all very... Um, it's just a very relaxed class. It's called chill yoga. So I decided to get brave and go along to the class as I was, I was still feeling pretty comfortable practicing on my own, my DVD that I was comfortable with. So I went along and I just loved it, loved walking into the class and it smelled beautiful and all the mats were there ready for us and we because it's it's on the floor and it's yin yoga, I think, where you yeah it's you do lots of stretches and poses which are held for a long time. So there's bolsters and blocks to assist with that. Okay. I guess yeah, after my first class, I was yeah happy to very happy to return and very happy that I'd gone. <laughs> right now, I, there were some nods here in the studio when you mentioned yin yoga, um, Jude and Simone. Do you are aware of this? Are there many different types of yoga that that are like this? 
Yeah, there are um, a number of different types of yoga and yin is one. And I think it's becoming maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe one of the, the most popular, I think, in this kind of busy world that we're living in. A lot of people are craving that quiet downtime and that time to just slow down and, and press pause um, after a busy day, perhaps of work or whatever it might be in your week. So it is one type. It, it um, is is predominantly floor-based, really slow, long-held poses. Uh, As Sue mentioned, there's usually a lot of props to help support your practice. So things like bolsters or they're like a cushion um, and blocks and straps and things to help where the teacher will guide you through how to use those props. Um, But there's a range of other different um, styles as well. So people might have heard um, of Hatha yoga or Iyengar. Um, Bikram is is the one that is is done in a very hot uh, temperature, so not always... um, appropriate for everybody Uh, and there's also um, another sort of slower um, practice called restorative yoga which again it's a little bit different to yin but uh, another slower paced um, class and people might hear the term flow a lot which is is a sort of a more um, higher intensity I guess faster pace so there's really something for everybody across um, all areas I don't know Judy if you want to touch on any other types or or benefits of the types that you practice I probably just would give yin a bit more of a plug I think because it tends to be the class in the yoga school that you'll see more people with different levels Mm. of ability and you'll see people that um live with a disability in a yin class more often it is more accessible and it I think the other thing is too that because the poses are held for longer, it gives the teacher much more time to actually assist an individual um, person within the class with the modifications and the changes that they might need to make that pose comfortable for them. So uh, if if you have a different type of ability or some restrictions, it's a great place to start. There are also um, many community groups as well that do chair-based yoga, so it's worth touching on that as well. Um, And certainly some therapists or yoga practitioners that are trained to do um, yoga therapy. So there are some alternatives as well that that combine a range of different um, practices, but but look at really chair-based practices. So yeah, there really is a a type of yoga for everyone. Uh, It's just about finding it. So have you had an experience with a chair-based yoga? The chair-based yoga, yes, that sounds familiar. I'm involved in up in Bathurst, the Central West Brain Injury Action Group, and last year or the year before, I helped organise a chair-based yoga event for the group, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend on the day, but it was the feedback I heard it was well-received, and the group would like to look at doing another chair-based yoga session sometime in the new year. So, yeah, and I hope that I'll be able to get to that one. Great. Yeah. Now, I just want to ask you, with the the having started doing classes, um, how does that compare to practicing at home, do you think? Uh, so, well, for me, I really enjoy, like I mentioned, the smell of the yoga studio. It's, it's nicely scented. And the vibe of everyone being together, yeah, it's it's a social it's a social occasion. But I think, like Jude mentioned, without needing to get into that regular social talk, you talk about the yoga and the poses and the yeah, it it was very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jude and Simone, do you have any perspectives on um, uh, practicing at home versus joining in a class or having an instructor? I 
do think a lot of people do prefer to start at home and it can definitely be a bit scary to front up to a class as a complete newbie, um, often because most people in the class have been going for a while and kind of know what they're doing and you can feel a bit out of place. There are a lot of good videos and things available, classes available online, but it can be a bit of trial and error to find something appropriate for you. Probably one of the things that's interesting listening to Sue talk about doing the same video um, over and over because actually it would be a great way to notice the changes in your body as you get more familiar and you do things more often. So I can see why that would work really well for some people. The main drawback, of course, would be that you don't get feedback from a teacher and having a teacher is an important part of yoga. Um, It's been taught from teacher to student for a really long time and, yeah, getting uh, that feedback about how you can make things easier or uh, get a little bit more stretch, it is quite an important part of the practice, I think. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. Um, and I think that it, it is dependent on the individual. I think home practice has a really, um, you know, a good place as well for people that may not be able to get out um, to get to classes. So if access is an issue uh, or, you know, perhaps you're living in a really rural area where there just isn't um, access to yoga. So I think home practice is always going to have a really good place. Uh, talking to health professionals, you know, if you've got a physio or an OT can be a good way to start your home practice to make sure that it's going to be be tailored to the level of where you're at um, and and that it's a positive experience I think like what Sue has had Uh, but yeah totally agree with Jude around uh, having a a teacher can be really beneficial as well and to help sort of progress your practice if you like Um, so yeah there's definitely benefits of both. Great so Sue how do you see uh, the future of of you and yoga progressing? Okay well that was really interesting to listen to Jude and Simone talk about the benefits of uh, having a teacher and a home-based practice because even it's only been about four weeks since I've been attending this yoga class and I'm already seeing the changes that to my home practice uh, by doing the, the yin yoga or the restorative yoga. So I'm thinking, looking to the future, that I'm just going to keep continuing to improve and become more aware of the benefits that I can see and feel in doing both. Uh, I might branch out into more group yoga classes as time goes on, but I'm just going to take it as I feel, really. I'm not going to push myself to do something that I don't feel ready for yet. So is there anything else that you would um, you would say to, to other stroke survivors who are contemplating yoga? I guess, yeah, to, to look around at what's available, what they might want to get out of yoga and to keep an open mind about the improvements that might come by participating and just giving it a go as to what they're able to do because I'm so aware, yeah, of the different levels that people might be at. Like, yeah, if somebody's able to manage chair yoga at the time and then move on to something else. It's, it's really a personal experience, isn't it? Depending on where everybody's at. Yes. Thank you very much. And I guess, you know, best of luck with continuing your practice. Um, is it okay for me to say namaste? Is that the, the thing we do? Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> namaste. Okay. 
<laughs> Thank you, Sue. Did you know you can customise the Enable Me website to suit all your viewing needs? You can choose large size fonts or different alignment of text on your screen, a high contrast screen so that different parts stand out, automatically underline the start and end of each sentence, read in easy English, and many more options. Set up once and your personal settings are saved for all your future visits. Just click on the accessibility icon at the top of the screen at enableme.org. Our next guest is physiotherapist and researcher Professor Susan Hillier from the University of South Australia. Susan is a member of the Stroke Foundation's Clinical Council and she's also been a guest on the podcast previously in our episode on touch and sensation. Welcome back, Susan. Thanks, Chris. Now, I believe that you and your colleagues have actually done some research on yoga for stroke survivors. What kinds of things did you study? Yeah, we did a couple of um, pilot clinical trials working with stroke survivors um, around using um, yoga as a, a form of rehabilitation um, after their stroke. And uh, the, there were two trials, and one was comparing yoga to just a regular exercise class, and the other one was um, comparing yoga to usual care. So we were particularly interested in questions about whether it is feasible, because you can imagine everybody immediately says, oh, well, I've had a stroke, I can't do a downward dog. Um, so we needed to uh, explore what aspects of yoga were feasible for people with stroke, um, and then we also and that it was safe. And we also wanted to get some data about whether it is actually effective, and if it is, what kinds of benefits might it offer people who've had a stroke? So we were really pleased with the trials. People were really keen to recruit for the trials. We did them in a really, uh, you know, a very strong kind of way. We randomised people so that they. Um, were getting, didn't necessarily know what they were getting or what we were particularly interested in. Um, and we measured them before they did the classes and we measured them after they did the classes and we had people who were blinded to which classes they did. Uh, so we, we, did, we did it properly um, and we were really um, happy to report those results in a couple of journals. Uh, and we found that, you know, not surprisingly, our numbers weren't big enough to enable us to calculate big effects um, but we could certainly show that the yoga was safe uh, and it was feasible. And we trained uh, teachers especially um, so that they could adapt. And they had us as advisors um, so that they knew how to adapt things safely. Um, and uh, then we did interviews with the stroke survivors afterwards. And I think that was probably the most interesting um, thing that we found. Okay, um, what came so, out in the interviews? Yeah. Yeah, so people reported um, a whole bunch of things, which actually is not surprising, but it was surprising. They reported that they felt better about their body. Um, and it wasn't a direct thing that the yoga teachers, you know, they'd go in saying, feel better about your body, feel better about your body. But by getting to know themselves better through the mindfulness stuff, they felt more aware of what their bodies were capable of and they felt calmer in their mind. Um, so those very traditional kinds of benefits of yoga really popped out in a way that surprised even us. Wow. I think, you know, at the time we were doing a lot of radio interviews and, you know, every, every interviewer would say, well, you know, how can someone with stroke do yoga? It's so vigorous. I think that was real testament to the way we set up the classes, that there was always something that somebody could do. Uh, and if, if they couldn't do it standing, they could do it in sitting. 
But then the, the majority of the task is actually spent a lot of time on the mindfulness aspect. So um, calming the mind, um, controlling your thoughts, um, doing sort of really nice gentle body scans so that people just became more aware of their whole body rather than, you know, trying to ignore their side that's stroke affected and only ever using the, you know, the, the stroke affected side. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was very uh, inspiring, actually, to hear their stories. Hmm. That certainly fits in the, the discussion that we've had so far about, about yoga. Um, I'm interested, though, also in um, what you, I suppose, some of those comments that, about it being, I guess, vigorous or compared to other exercise. Is it also a form of like cardio exercise as well, as well as just the, the mindfulness and the and the other aspects of it? Well, interest. This is an interesting question because traditionally we think that we have to, you know, you have to raise a sweat and you have to breathe hard. You know, have to work hard. That's for, for an aerobic effect. But with yoga, it's kind of actually traditional yoga is the opposite. You meant it's meant to be very calm and you meant to keep very quiet. You hold the poses and they're strenuous, so it's good for muscle strength. But interestingly, though, what people found was that because there's a lot of breathing exercises, their breathing felt easier. So I think there's a whole lot of research to be done about if people learn to breathe more efficiently. Is that as good as, you know, an aerobic exercise? Because there's a bit of evidence coming out that, you know, probably aerobic exercise isn't necessarily the best thing for people after stroke. There's only one study, but, you know, it's something that we're watching. Um, and I'm just thinking that, you know, this learning how to breathe better, you know, kind of has the same effect, doesn't it? You get more oxygen, you feel calmer. So I think that, you know, there's a really great opportunity for us to explore whole different notion of what it means to, to you know, have better cardiovascular health through to, through um, better breathing techniques. And how about other benefits people might get, say, for instance, just by being part of a class and that, that sort of community? Did people oh, find yeah. that as well? That's exactly right. People really enjoyed the group. Um, you know, and we, we did control for that in one of the studies by having the other group doing exercises together. Um, but I think we can't underestimate the value of peer support, being with people who understand, being with a, a teacher that you trust who understands what you've been through. Um, I think they're really powerful things to think about. And then on the other hand, what what drew me to uh, be interested in using yoga, and there's a few of us now have got colleagues in Melbourne as well who are really interested in doing more studies, is of course yoga is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You know, It's on every street corner practically, and some of our stroke survivors telling us they don't want to go to some fancy clinic, it's expensive, they feel like it just reminds them I've got a stroke. So I guess my kind of long-term vision is that people with strokes can go to any yoga class. You know, if yoga teachers generally can, uh, you know, feel confident working with people who've got some physical or other cognitive difficulties, impairments, um, that this is a great kind of normalising thing, is that... You know, it's something that you can walk to your local corner gym and do yoga, whether you've got a stroke or not. So I think that's something that we're really keen to look at. And um, I've got a colleague here in Adelaide, um, Saran Chamberlain, who's a, a young stroke survivor. And we want to do exactly that. We want to work with yoga centres or Pilates centres or whatever um, and kind of almost give them the tick of approval that they're stroke-friendly. Um you know, because we're never going to get enough stroke services, are we? We have to be honest. 
understand mm. that. But how marvellous it would be if people with stroke could feel like they could just jump into a mainstream class. Right. So it's it's really it sounds like it is a way to get that sort of that activity and I guess community involvement that is recommended by rehabilitation guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It it, it ticks all the boxes. It it uh, you know it, it keeps people engaged. It you know they're they're weight bearing. They're they're stretching, getting into you know different postures. So they're stimulating both stimulating muscles. And what was really nice for us to find out, they're stimulating their minds as well. Um, you know, it was the whole package and the cardiovascular system. So yeah, we're really we're really pleased with the with the studies. We just would be nice to get more funding to do the definitive trials so that we can be really confident. But I think in the meantime, what I would suggest to stroke survivors is talk to their therapist about finding a class, maybe asking their therapist to be an advocate for them in a class, you know, to work with the teacher. Um Look at some of the poses, how they can adapt them, what they can do, how they can challenge themselves, because that's the other thing that people really liked. They liked the very gentle challenge um, in a very supportive environment. They, you know, they didn't want to play it safe necessarily. They wanted to take a few little mini risks. Um, and, uh, yeah, go from there. Have a, Give it a try. Great. Well, thank you very much, Susan. And I look, I do hope that you get to continue this research and get the, the larger trials that you're, that you're aiming for. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us. That was researcher Professor Susan Hillier. Setting goals is crucial to stroke recovery. Goals can be as simple as walking to the letterbox to check the mail or bigger goals like getting back to work. Enable Me has a unique tool where you and your carer or family can plan what you want to achieve, track how you are progressing and celebrate your successes. You can also connect with other people who set goals similar to yours and challenge or inspire each other. You can even set up a blog to write down how you are feeling and share your own story. And don't forget, our professionals from Stroke client can help with personalized and confidential advice to help you grow stronger after stroke visit enableme.org.au now to finish off jude and simone i'd like to talk to you about your advice for people who are wanting to get into yoga or to get back into it as the case may be um simone, i thought i might start with you what should stroke survivors consider physically when taking up yoga I would always say, and I think Susan's touched on this, but, you know, having a conversation with your doctor to start with just to get that medical clearance is important. And if if there is a, a, a therapy team involved, like a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist, to have a chat to them about, um, you know, where to start. Um, and then really, I don't know, Jude's I think has got some great tips around thinking about how to find a studio. Um, obviously, access is something that you want to, um, you know, check in on if that's something that, that is going to be a consideration for you. So, a lot of studios can sometimes be on um, first floors or, you know, upstairs. So if stairs are a problem for you or if access is a problem, that's something to also consider if you're going to start your practice um, in a studio. Uh, but did you want to talk a bit more, Jude, about how to find a studio? Mm, sure. So you definitely have a lot of options. As Susan's mentioned, there is a yoga school um, pretty much on every street corner these days, which is a really big change over the last couple of decades in Australia. Um, so you've got your yoga schools and a lot of those will advertise, you know, a lot and they'll be really present in the community and online. You've also got classes at community and neighbourhood houses, so it's worth checking out um, what's available through your local council as well, just checking their website. They often have um, information on accessible exercise options. 
Um, once you get online to have a look, you'll find that websites and class descriptions, they help you, but they're not always easy to understand um, as a newbie in particular. So, you know, Simone and I have been talking about yin and uh, Sue talked about chill and there's a mm. lot of different mm. words and descriptions that um, get bandied around. So do your research online, ask anyone you can think of for a recommendation, but then when you're narrowing in on a yoga school, uh, send an email or phone and outline what you're looking for and what you might need. And I think it's it's helpful to have that conversation before you front up. It's sometimes helpful to, to speak to the founder or the owner of the school. Um, they're often a good point of call, really, to get those questions answered and answered well. When you go to your first class, uh, go early and have some time to speak for the te- to the teacher. And I think that's a really important part of it as well. I would say that there are as many types of yoga as there are schools and teachers. And it's a bit like buying a house. It might t- take you a bit of time to find your yoga home. Uh, you might need to visit a few different places. And if the first few places you visit aren't for you, then just like finding a home, keep looking. Um, you're not just looking for a good school, but you're often looking for a good teacher at that school as well. So, yeah, shop around. Okay. And a good community. I think, you know, that getting that vibe. I think Sue talked about the vibe, you know, then I think it is around kind of looking around and going, yeah, I feel like I belong here. I think that's really important. You know, if you're someone that uh, is, is, you know, perhaps um, feeling a little bit fearful of going to a class, you know, you're probably not going to front up to a class where there's lots of really, you know, young, beautiful people in the room. You may not feel at home there. So it's really about kind of going, you know, knowing who you are, knowing where you feel like you belong and finding that community. And, you know, that's different for everybody. Um, I think too, if you're thinking about starting a home practice, then that's really where I would um, talk a lot more with your therapy team. If you have a therapy team uh, around what your abilities are and around any, I guess, um, you know, recommendations around where to start and whether a particular DVD or class um, for home practice might be good. Uh, you know, looking at equipment, that kind of thing um, and having a setup. I know um, some stroke survivors, uh, certainly um, I've practiced with stroke survivors in my class before and uh, have seen them progress, you know, things like thinking about do I need to stand near a wall to start with just for security and for my balance and then progressing that over time. So there's lots of different considerations. But if you find um, a good teacher or if you've got therapists involved, um, if you're doing a home practice, then that can be really helpful and uh, ensure that, you know, you're feeling like you're well equipped and and that you have a safe practice as well. Um, I think, yeah. Are there any other things might be specific, I guess, to stroke survivors? I mean, you talked about sometimes like accessibility in terms of stairs and those sort of Mm. things might be something to to look out for. But what about, um, I think something we touched on earlier was the idea that having a teacher who is able to help you and give you feedback and I suppose, you know, is there something about having a smaller class or having that sort of slower... Yeah, approach. yeah. I definitely think um, having a smaller class can be helpful if you're new to yoga or coming back to yoga after a stroke. I actually often recommend people that call Stroke Line to consider one-on-one classes to start with, so you get one-on-one attention. the The teacher gets a really good understanding of your abilities, and particularly if there's anything else like spasticity or sensory changes after your stroke, or perhaps there's balance issues, vision issues, uh, or something else. So I think having uh, a one-on-one is also a good option if that 
that's that's a you know available for you. Um, that can be a really good way to start. But often, yes, yeah, smaller classes. Sometimes finding out too from the teacher, you know, what's the best class, what's the smallest class. Uh, you know, they'll be able to say to you, look, you know, come on a Wednesday at lunchtime. The class is quite small. You'll get more attention. The teacher is, you know, maybe has a background in in working with other people with disability, or you know, there are many teachers now that may have a background in health, so uh, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, and and other health practitioners that also um, are now looking at teaching yoga. So, you know, really just finding out, um, you know, asking those questions and something that some people don't realise, but often the studios will have a little note on your file as well. So when you sign into the class, it might bring up that you've got a history or an injury. And so you can, if you consent, you can elect to have that information available to the teacher. So if there's a new teacher or a fill-in teacher, then they get a quick notification when you sign into that class uh, that, you know, there may be something they need to have a chat to you about. So that's also a, a good way to, to make sure that the teacher knows about your history as well. Um, and really that open communication with the teacher. I think Jude said, you know, uh, the yin classes can be good because the teachers get a lot more time to actually work with you and to see what feels good. Uh, you know, we obviously um, don't want people to be practicing yoga and putting themselves through pain and pain can be an issue for, for stroke survivors. So really allowing um, that space to communicate with the teacher as well around, um, you know, making sure that you're not um, crossing that sort of that, that point of, of pain. Okay, Jude, do you mm. concur? I, I do. I think it's really helpful to think about a quick script before you arrive as well. You're going into a new environment. There's going to be, you know, it's different, can be a bit overwhelming. So just think about what are the three things you want a teacher to know about you um, and sort of script it for yourself so it becomes really regular. You do it every time with a new teacher and it's you doesn't feel kind of embarrassing or difficult to do. So I think it can really help the teacher to give you some tips to start with. So that thing about, yeah, maybe grab a spot near the wall if your balance is not good and what to do if you're feeling tired or need to rest. But also, too, it will flag for them, oh, you might find this pose is not accessible to you, so I need to start thinking now about what I might come over and suggest for you instead. So, yeah, have a script. Yeah. Now, Simone also talked about how people can uh, ask some questions on stroke line is there any what other help can stroke line provide yeah, look, I, I think we can really have a chat to you about where you're at um, and sort of what your level of ability is, whether you've practiced yoga before. We can find out a, a bit about your history and, and uh, maybe what you've tried before. Uh, we can find out a little bit more about what your intention is. I think we've all touched on, you know, when you're thinking about practicing or, or getting back to yoga, what's the intention behind it? Is it to build strength or balance or is it for the community aspect or perhaps it's for an emotional, uh, spiritual aspect? But, you know, getting a bit of information from the person who calls us around what the intention is you know we can obviously have a chat about the different types of yoga uh, we can go through some of the things we've covered on the podcast around quite good questions to ask how to find a studio or thinking about a home practice uh, there's there's lots of different things that we can cover I think um, something that does come up on uh, stroke line with stroke survivors is around sort of the fears as well around some of the, the you know oh, I'm feeling a bit scared to go to a class what will people think so we can actually help um, work through some of those blocks or, or barriers or reasons that might be holding someone back as well. So yeah, there's there's a whole range of things that we can do, but really tailored advice to get you in the right direction and uh, to give it a go. You know, there's lots of myths around, you know, I need to be flexible to go to yoga. Well, it's just not true. You don't have to be flexible. You don't have to be able to touch your toes. So there is really something for everybody. 
Great. And Jude, do you have any other final advice you would uh, give stroke survivors? I'm just laughing because we do actually call Stroke Line the yogi hotline sometimes because <laughs> we get so many questions and most people on Stroke Line do practice yoga. So, yeah, call the yogi hotline. Um Look, my last thing would just be to say that, you know, you're looking for a yoga school and a teacher that will be welcoming and inclusive, but think also too about how you will include yourself and how you'll, um, I guess, treat yourself as someone that, you know, can practice yoga and deserves to practice yoga and deserves to be in the room. Um, There are definitely moments in your yoga practice when it's too hard, you're too different to other people and you get really out of your depth and it's very easy to freak out. And I know for me there's often a point where I just panic because I don't actually know what I'm meant to be doing and I'm on the left and everyone else is on the right, all that kind of thing. Um, But if you drop that feeling of not being good enough, if you include yourself, don't worry about feeling like you stand out. That's not a bad thing. It can be amazing how liberating that is. You don't have to be perfect. We always say in yoga that it's all about just showing up on your mat. So switch the focus from what hurts, what you can't do, what feels bad to what feels good um, and really concentrate on not I'm trying to do this pose perfectly but I'm actually trying to make myself feel good and that's a very simple thing and it feels really empowering. Great. And there's always child's pose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there's a a saying that goes around, you know, um, I regret uh, going to yoga today or practising yoga today said no one and uh, that, that really rings true for me too you know I think that one of the the big things I've learned about yoga is that keep your eyes on the four corners of your own mat you know it's really uh, teaching you about your own self-awareness and and yeah really stay focused on what's going on for you on your mat uh, it's it's just yeah go 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 along with an open mind and as Jude said everything will be okay Fantastic. I love the enthusiasm there. Now, if you want to speak to a health professional about yoga or any other topic, you can call Stroke Line on 1800 787 653 or 1800 STROKE, or you can go on to Enable Me and ask a question and get a response from health professionals and other stroke survivors. And remember, too, that we recommend you speak to your own health professional before starting any new exercise, such as yoga. If you like what you've heard today, please give us a good rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever other app you can, as that helps lift us up in the search rankings so other people can find our podcast. And thanks once again to our guests, Sue Bowden, Susan Hillier, Simone Russell, and Jude Cherenkowski. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. You can also suggest a topic or provide feedback on this podcast. Enable Me has qualified health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio's studio, which you can find out more about at facebook.com slash studio4four99. That's F-O-U-R-99. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the Stroke Foundation in Australia, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. See strokefoundation.org.au.